Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <clears throat> Nico, because... <clears throat> Nico, why is my throat so... <clears throat> Professional talker. What's good? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schuber. I am the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a grown man who never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, but I'm reading them now as an adult because I'm on a quest to determine if this is a book series that we've all been sleeping on as a society, but I'm not on this quest alone. I am joined once again by the host of But Make It Scary and the co-host of Fanatical Fix and Where to Find Them. It's Sequoia Simone Sequoia. How's it going? Great. It's going great. I've had a really just an excellent five minutes mm-hmm, and really mm-hmm. killing it in the last five minutes. So yep. uh-huh. <laughs> I refilled my water. You answered some text messages. Exactly. You opened the door in your recording closet to let in some fresh air. I did. I, I am did. back securely in my sister's old closet from her bedroom from my parents home in Texas. Mm-hmm. Here we go, baby. We're ready to talk about <laughs> Percy Jackson. <laughs> Couldn't be more ready. Mm -hmm. The vibes immaculate. So we are going to be talking about chapter four and chapter five of the fifth book in the series, Percy Jackson and the Last Olympian. Now that you're a repeat guest, we get to ask you the fun repeat guest question, which in this case, I believe is, who are your godly parents? You ever taken one of those sorting quizzes? Listen, as a listener of the pod, I knew what the second guest question was and I was ready. So I did. I took a couple of them and I was like, okay, I know what I think. Right. And what I think is probably Aphrodite. Ooh, I like it. And then I took the Rick one and I got Aphrodite. Cool, cool. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then I took a couple other ones and I got Apollo. And I was like... Actually, all of these things make sense. Yeah. But I think that because of my immediate thought, I'm going to go with Aphrodite. I like it. And I also like Aphrodite getting more love because I feel like in this series, it got a lot better by the Demigod Files. And now with Selena being really cool in book five, it feels like they have more things going on. Whereas in the first four books, it was like, ha ha ha, they're the pretty people that are worried about their looks <laughs> and nothing else. But then we learn, you know, there's more to them. So I, I appreciate Aphrodite getting some love and not just being like the butt of the joke cabin. Sure. And I think that it's funny because like my thought was like, I'm like a romance girly. I'll say it. I'll just say mm-hmm. it. I'm a romance mm-hmm. girly. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my shows is all about romance movies and I am sort of very in that space. But I am also the kind of like... I love clothes. I love Mm. jewelry. I've worn makeup like maybe five times in my whole life. But that's just because I have no like (laughs) like artistic talent to like put those things on my face and make it look good. I just that seems like a lot of work. But, you know, I'm very into clothes and jewelry and that kind of a thing. But, you know, Apollo is kind of like those are some art kids. You know, those are some like 
Yeah. And I'm, you know, I may not be like a drawing artist, but, you know, I write and perform and act and do all these shows and stuff. So, but I am drawn to Aphrodite. And I think that there's a lot more there than, you know, what you might see. I like it. I respect that. And now I can use that as further justification because I also like clothes. And uh, it's, you know, sometimes do I need the extra pair of pants when you already have a pair of pants? pretty similar. Maybe I don't need it, but I would like it. <laughs> exactly. And I'd like to wear it on stage. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, that's fantastic. Let's get into these chapters. We're going to kick it off with chapter four, which is called We Burn a Metal Shroud. And at first, I, again, probably should have realized what was going to be the situation here, but I didn't. My <laughs> guess was that I thought it was going to be some sort of thing to channel a Greek mm. figure who will help them. Uh, right. Should have keened in more to the word shroud and thought of what's any time you see shroud, what precedes it? Uh, burial? Oh, right. right. Our good friend Beckendorf died, and he's from the Hephaestus cabin. Obviously, that's what the metal shroud is. Right, right. But alas, Narrative Percy opens this chapter, quote, I dreamed Rachel Elizabeth Dare was throwing darts at my picture. Interesting start that I was not <laughs> anticipating. Yeah, it's a weird one. Super strange. He says that she is in her room, but then explains that she doesn't have a room. She has the entire top floor of her parents' mansion. And I'm sorry, Percy Jackson. You have been to Rachel Elizabeth Dare's room, and yes. you're trying to act like your friendship is not romantic in any way? Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. sorry. You have been mm -hmm. to her room? Sir? <laughs> sir <laughs> sir <laughs> what are you trying to get away with here sir uh, um yeah mm -hmm. he reveals that the dare family mansion is a renovated brownstone in brooklyn and that is expensive yeah it's a lot of money i wonder if google let's see like how much would it cost <laughs> to own a renovated brownstone in Brooklyn. Let's see. Oh, this is a website about the cost of renovating it. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I want to know if I was big, big bucks boy, <laughs> if I could purchase it. Well, the renovations alone can range from three hundred thousand to one million dollars. Just the renovations. Sure. Um, so sure. that might put it in perspective. Um, how it's got to be several million dollars. I th yeah, I, th I think we're looking at like at least five million. Like yeah. least. Bare very least. Very, very, very That's least. The five million is like before you renovate it. That's yeah. like, the, that's yeah. like oh, the crappy one that yeah. you have to then put yes. your money <laughs> into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> And then you have to live in Brooklyn. Anyway. Hey. Uh, <laughs> hey. I've shifted from being a Manhattan's boy to a Queen's boy now, and I get to mm -hmm. still dunk on Brooklyn. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> anyway, her room is a loft with floor-to-ceiling windows and industrial lighting. And uh, R-E-D, more like R-A-D, that is dope. That's the <laughs> coolest-sounding room it feels like in my brain, I was imagining the warehouse that Anne Hathaway's mom lives in, in the Princess Diaries, where she just has like the big oh, yeah. open space kind of thing. She lives in a renovated firehouse. Yeah, in San Francisco. You yeah. want to know what else costs a jillion dollars? <laughs> when she finds out she's a princess, I wonder yeah. if her net worth went down. Uh, like yeah. the house... 
that they have in San Francisco. Are you kidding me? Wild. That's absolutely wild. Get out of here. Get out of here with that. <laughs> I'm just anyway. an artist. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. No, 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 uh-huh. no, no, no. Cool. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, what are you, Picasso? <laughs> yeah. I do imagine Rachel can like see, you know, one of the bridges out of these like all of these floor to ceiling windows mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. has some gorgeous view of Manhattan. Yeah. I think they say at one point when her dad comes to the room that they can see the skyline. Right. But I mean, yeah, it's good. This has to be incredible. It's got to be really, really good stuff. My goodness. <laughs> there is alt rock blaring from her speakers. Narrative Percy notes that her music taste is very eclectic, which I like as an eclectic music taste boy myself. Mm hmm. She is wearing a kimono, which feels like an interesting choice. Her hair is messy. Her room is a mess. And she is actually throwing darts at a painting of Percy. It's an intense-looking Percy standing over Antaeus. When Percy defeated him, Rachel told him that that's what he looked like. Percy thought that this drawing was a bit too intense for his liking or what he actually looked like. And she was like, "Uh, nah, dude, you look like that. Yeah. But then as she's doing this, she says, demigods, and there's (laughs) Stupid quests. And I didn't <laughs> love this look from Rachel Elizabeth Dare because usually she's pretty accepting of Percy's, you know, whole thing where he has to save the world and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Not not the best look. I don't know. She doesn't know the whole prophecy where he has to die or whatever. <laughs> Still, I feel like when they were on their fun driving adventure and a big old Pegasus came through. Mm-hmm. But I guess, I guess maybe she's just mad because it was just the quest and not necessarily like... The next step, she doesn't know sure. what went down and all this, but still, not the best look from Rachel Elizabeth there. So now yeah. we're getting back to back, like, not great look from Annabeth, not great look from Rachel Elizabeth <gasps> there. Like, uh, it's very it's, stressful. It's just, this triangle, <laughs> it's just it's stressful. Uh, it's well, my goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> so Mr. Dare bangs on the door, demanding that she turn down the music. She does and then welcomes him in. He is wearing monogram pajamas, which Percy clowns him for, which I think is <laughs> fantastic. He asks what's going on since it's three in the morning. She says that she couldn't sleep. Mr. Dare observes the scene and guesses that Percy isn't coming to St. Thomas. She says she doesn't know. And he says, we leave in the morning, which it is. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but I mean, he's basically like, uh, he's not coming. And then yeah. she admits, yeah, he's probably not coming. He asks if she's still having bad dreams and headaches and Rachel's but there wishes that she never told him. He says that he's her father and he's just worried about her. And she thinks that he's just worried about the family's reputation. And again, this is a bit of a sassy look from Rachel Elizabeth Dare. But Mr. Dare does not react, which makes Percy think either that he's heard this times before and he doesn't want to entertain it for being absurd, or it's true. So there's no in-between, and Mr. Dare is either being chill or being bad, and it's hard. I sort of think he's being bad. Oh, you're you're on reputation thing? (laughs) I'm on reputation, yeah. Mm. He wants to send her to some finishing school. He wants her to be, you know, whatever. I'm on this is bad. Okay, okay. He suggests that they call Dr. Arkwright, who apparently helped Rachel Elizabeth Dare through the death of her hamster. Rachel Elizabeth Dare clarifies that she was six years old when that happened and she doesn't need a therapist. And look, pro-therapist here, Rachel Elizabeth Dare. So, you know, your dad can be a jerk and you can also see therapist at the same time. Two things can be true. Exactly. Mr. Dare thinks that this trip will help and he says that she's had unhealthy influences, which I think is a weird way to talk about 
Percy. And we don't know exactly what they've been doing, but like I would imagine their hang sessions are pretty normal and not bad. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine they're also like pretty nerdy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. She's probably just like painting pictures and he's hanging yeah. out also there next to her. Like yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know think what they're getting into trouble. Would be doing. Yeah. yeah. Rachel Elizabeth there informs him that she is not going to Clarion Ladies Academy <laughs> and states her friends are none of his business. Mr. Dare smiles in a you'll see the error of your ways manner mm. and then tells her to get some rest and that tomorrow night they'll be on the beach having fun. He leaves the room and leaves the door open. Rachel Elizabeth Dare stares at the portrait, walks to the sheet-covered easel beside it, and then says that she hopes they are dreams and uncovers the easel. I'm glad she did this because she didn't need to do it. She knows what's under the sheet, Mm -hmm. but for us, it's very important. (laughs) And I love when people do that sort of thing in TV shows, books, movies, whatever. I think it's very funny. It contains a drawing of Luke as a young boy, Percy thinking that it's the moment he found out he was a demigod after running away. The next easel is a drawing of the Empire State Building with lightning all around it and a giant hand emerging from a cloud. At the base of the Empire State Building is a crowd, but it wasn't a crowd. It was a crowd lobster. No, it's an (laughs) army. I will make the rock lobster joke anytime I can. (laughs) It's an army, and then Rachel Elizabeth Dare mutters, as if she knows Percy is watching, quote, Percy, what is going on? Which feels dramatic for someone that you're really angry about, you know, to be like chucking darts one moment, and then the next moment be like, oh, are you okay? Like, I don't know, you're chucking darts at my face. (laughs) It's like, I don't want you to be not okay due to this whole, like, Titans war thing. <laughs> I want to throw darts at you. Yes. But that's just me. I, only I, Rachel Elizabeth Dare, get to throw darts at Percy Jackson. <laughs> I would like your biggest problems to be me and my fists, <laughs> not the fist of a big god cloud thing. Yeah. <laughs> Percy wants to call her in the morning, but there's no landlines at camp because they can just use IMs. Here's my question Doesn't Chiron call Sally? Huh. He calls her, right? There's instances and references to him calling her. When he does, does he send her IMs? Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe he goes off campus <laughs> just to call Sally Jackson. <laughs> maybe. Percy continues that no camper uses a cell phone because of monsters, except for Annabeth, who has a phone, but that's an obvious no-go. Percy does not want to go, oh, hey, can I use your phone to call your biggest rival? <laughs> Would not go over well. No, not at all. Percy recognizes that he would have to leave camp to find a phone. And by the time he did, Rachel Elizabeth Dare would already be on the flight to St. Thomas. So he figures it's of no use. Percy and Annabeth do chores together around Camp Half-Blood. They are doing the thing where they're doing the cabin inspections. Narrator Percy noting that they haven't heard from Thalia and the Hunters in months, which makes me think Thalia is coming back in this book. Thalia! I miss her. Miss her a lot. Miss her a lot. Shout out to, and this is good because this will come out in the future, Nathan Cox, my buddy who is going to be at the Seattle and Vancouver live shows at the time of recording on May 19th in the future, at the time Mm -hmm. of this episode releasing in July, the past. He's currently (laughs) making his way through the books because basically he had read the first one and I was like, hey, if you finish book five before I come to Seattle, we can do the shows together. And he was like, yeah, okay, that sounds like fun. He just sent me a text message. He just finished book three, and I just have to read it. It's uh, it's so wonderfully <laughs> endearing, and this is a safe space where I can do it and not spoil him on stuff. 
but it's so cute and it gives me the rare instance where I can be on the other side of this sort of thing. Yeah. It's really good. And I sent him a lot of zipper mouth emojis. So he said, <laughs> just finished book three. I said, nice, nice thoughts. And then he said, definitely called that Hades had a kid, but didn't guess who it was. I don't think Bianca is dead. Haha. <laughs> I was on the same page there. Didn't guess that he didn't break the rule. The Lotus did. Dug the final battle. Glad it's building up a bit. And I said, yeah, it really ramps up. He said, I feel like I kind of casually skimmed the Aphrodite chapter, but I felt like there was a bunch of stuff in there that was important. Might go back and read it again. And I just said, I will stay zipper face emoji. So then a little later on, he says, I really thought there was going to be more of a Thalia Percy love triangle. Oh. I'm not convinced there won't be, even though she's a hunter now. And I replied, oh. eyeball emoji, zipper emoji, eyeball emoji. <laughs> And then he said she was clearly into him at times, but of course, huh. Percy is thick-headed. And then we got in a whole discussion about narrator stuff, but mm. I just think that's very adorable because, like, if that happens, I will be floored. But, like, there's no way. There's no way. <laughs> I, I can't I confirm or deny. And also... <laughs> there's just no way. Uh, oh. it's, it's great, though. I love that I people know. can have these wild theories as someone who has all these wild theories. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. So now, everyone, when you eventually listen to the episode that'll come out in, you know, a week or so <laughs> with Nathan, then you can be like, ah, oh, it's the silly Thalia boy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, back to book five here. Percy and Annabeth go to inspect the Aphrodite cabin, and they come across Selena, who is very sadly eating bonbons on her bed. Here's the thing about bonbons. Old people love to talk about bonbons. Do people ever, is that even a thing? Like, it's always the thing where they're like, oh, sit in the couch and eat bonbons. Like, is that actually yeah. like a French thing? I don't know that I've ever had. They're just those like assorted chocolates in a box. Oh, but I never okay. call them bonbons. It just feels oh. like like my parents always said it. Like, you know, just a general thing of like, what are you going to do? Sit on the couch yeah. and eat bonbons, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know that that's what that meant. I yeah. thought that that was just like a, a kind of like chocolate. I, it's just you when get. you get those assorted chocolates in a box. Yeah, apparently that's yeah. bonbons. So or she's doing that, which yeah. I wonder if this is Uncle Rick being an old guy kind of thing. It might be because that is not something that has like gone down with the generations as a way to talk about chocolates. No, you just call them chocolates. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So she's eating them on her bed, which has a headboard covered in Beckendorf photos. Oh, cool. My heart. <laughs> and narrative person reveals that he remembers, oh, right. Her dad is a chocolatier, which is partly what led Aphrodite to find him. That makes sense because Beauregard, I'm assuming she's French, French chocolatier. Yeah. I get it. We love a chocolatier. Mm -hmm. She <laughs> offers Percy a bonbon. Percy asks if they're any good. She says they taste like cardboard. And narrator Percy thinks, I got nothing against cardboard. So he tries one. <laughs> It's good. That's good. <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. Annabeth and Percy continue across the pavilion, and then they see the Ares and Apollo cabins fighting each other. Apollo campers in a Pegasi-drawn chariot fly over the Ares cabin and lob firebombs atop it. Ares campers call down a curse that turns Apollo cabin arrows into rubber, and then two archers pass by, and they're being chased by an Ares kid yelling at them in rhyming couplet form. This is chaos. This is chaos. Truly chaos. Truly, truly chaos. Annabeth is upset at the rhyming thing, because the last time this curse was bestowed upon a camp, it took a week for the rhyming effect to wear off. 
Percy shudders because Apollo's poetry is straight trash. And it was. It was so bad that I didn't write the rhyming couplet that he was saying yeah. in my notes because I was like, this is a really bad couplet. I don't want to waste my finger energy writing this. So I guess it makes sense as to why it's bad because established Apollo's bad at poetry. Now, Percy asks what they're fighting about, and then, as the narrator, just out of nowhere, reveals that he's intimidated by Annabeth's beauty. <laughs> just like, hey, what's going on? Oh, also, real quick to you, the reader, Annabeth looks great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes you're taking, you know, the sheets off of paintings that you already know what the painting looks like. Sometimes you're just telling us that Annabeth's really pretty today, <laughs> We gotta know. <laughs> I do appreciate, though, for Percy Jackson, 15 and change-year-old boy, he does let us know that they are now the same height, which makes him happy. I guess, you know, right. classic boys grow a little bit later situation. Mm -hmm. And I can also relate to that because I was quite short until my junior year of high school. I was mm -hmm. always the shortest kid in class. And then I grew nine inches in one summer. And uh, that explained why I kept blowing through shoes and my bones hurt. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like a bone hurting kind of experience. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> but yeah, I was always shorter than the girls that I had interest in in mm -hmm. middle school. And that made for sometimes some awkward situations, but I don't know, not always. People are different heights. I don't know. That's why he's like, boy, yeah. you have to be tall. <laughs> like, okay, cool. Yeah. Annabeth explains that the Apollo cabin captured this chariot in a raid in Philadelphia, a.k.a. Doylestown East. As we <laughs> <laughs> I do have a Philadelphia show coming up in October, and I'm labeling it just straight up as the Doylestown Doyle show Town. to fulfill the promise of book two stuff where I thought the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. <laughs> it's Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Oh, uh, it's all coming to pass. The prophecy. The prophecy. <laughs> Doylestown. As the prophecy has foretold. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Stay <laughs> humble. Make fun of yourself on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so they were in Philadelphia, a.k.a. Doylestown East, doing a raid, and they got this. Some of Luke's demigods were in this chariot, and the Apollo cabin seized it during the battle, but the Ares cabin led the raid, and the two cabins have been fighting about it ever since. And this is what I was talking about in the past episode, because normally I don't read very far ahead of the recording, but in this case, read them so we could do these back-to-back -back episodes. Yeah. It's just, it's the silliest it's thing. So like, silly. It's so silly. It is so inconsequential. It made me really frustrated with Clarice. I've really enjoyed her arc. I found her to be a really compelling character. I liked, yeah. even in the fun little story that we had in the Demigod Files, we kind of see some of her strugglings with her siblings and with how she fits in to the whole Ares lineage and all this stuff. Like, she's so interesting and she's got it tough and it's fun to learn more about what would lead her to be such a curmudgeon and a bully. This is just absurd. It really is. Like, I get why you're being angry, but the stakes are so much bigger that I thought her putting her foot in the ground and not joining the war would be for a good reason. This is not a good reason. She's just, like, lost to the big picture entirely. And for me, I haven't read the Demigod Files, so I don't know if there's something in there that helps explain this, but it doesn't feel like, to me, the Clarice that we had before was set up to lose the plot so badly. I agree. And I think in the Demigod Files, we get very similar to end of book four Clarice. Because book four Clarice, like a changed person. Yeah. And mature and level-headed and definitely saw the big picture. And Chris Rodriguez, that whole situation 
kind of opened her eyes to the big picture. So I agree. I think this is, I don't think I've ever made this complaint across the whole thing because I usually say very Ooh. common things, but I think this is like one of those things where it's like, Rick, do you know what character you're writing? Like, unless, yeah. unless we get a thing where we find out that she's angry about something else and is taking it out on this kind of thing. You know, she's sure. actually angry about something else, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. It just feels incongruous with, as you just pointed out, the Clarice that we were left with in either book four or the Demigod Files. Mm. Yeah, I can't tell you what happens next, but I remember when I was reading the book being like, this is confusing to me that mm-hmm. this is happening this way because I was just like so ready. And I know from listening to the show that you were also so ready for Clarice to just like, be awesome yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. And I guess the thing that she brought up in the big house with everyone takes this for granted, like maybe it's just kind of like the last straw sort of thing. So I'm not sure. going to 100% give up on Clarice or Uncle Rick writing. He wrote the character. He, is, he knows what's going on. He's correct. I am incorrect. Right. But <laughs> maybe yeah. she will talk about it more. So I'll wait a second. But at least at this moment in time, it just is disappointing. Sure. And maybe it is just something where it's like she's shown growth in some areas, but no one's perfect. And sometimes we take two steps forward and one step back kind of thing. So like maybe Mm -hmm. it's just that and that's all that Rick had in mind here. But it is just frustrating. I wanted that awesome, perfect Clarice by book five and like maybe we'll get it by the end. But this just feels silly. Maybe this is setting up like a Percy come to God's moment with Clarice where this (laughs) This is just a vessel for Percy and Clarice to have a big conversation because I feel like they do have to have a big conversation. So if this leads to that, then I won't feel as bad about it because like, I don't know, sometimes you need these things and and it happens in stories and movies and stuff like that. But yeah, it was just disappointing. Hmm. Hmm, Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Michael used Chariot attacks an Ares camper who curses at him in rhyming couplets and tries to stab him. Percy is shocked that they would be having this fight given the stakes of the other things going on. Uh, Yeah. Annabeth believes that Clarice will come to her senses and stop the fighting soon, but Percy's not so sure. When they progress on and inspect the Athena cabin, it is absolutely pristine aside from Annabeth's bed, which is filled with papers and her laptop. She calls herself Vlakas, which is basically idiot in Greek. And then Malcolm, (laughs) who is now established as the second in command, explains that they didn't know if it was safe to move her notes or not. I like that. Shout out to Malcolm. Look at that growth. Don't touch the girl's notes. Mm -hmm. He grins at them and he says that they, the other Athena campers, will wait outside while the two of them finish the inspection. And Malcolm is learning because he interrupted (laughs) their hug sentimental moment very awkwardly last time. Exactly. Smooth moves from Malcolm like this. He's coming into his wingman era. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) He is not blocking the road. He's letting them pass through. (laughs) Yes. Narrator Percy reveals though, that this goes against the camp rule, that no two campers can be alone in a cabin. And apparently this rule was enforced a bit during the relationship of Selina and Beckendorf. And thank goodness, narrator Prissy addresses the dating elephant in the room once <laughs> Here and it for is. all. Here it is. I'm very glad he did this. Yeah. As narrator Percy, he says, quote, and I know some of you might be thinking, aren't all demigods related on the godly side, and doesn't that make dating gross? But the thing is, the godly side of your family doesn't count, genetically speaking, since gods don't have DNA. A demigod would never think about dating someone who had the same godly parent, like two kids from the Athena cabin? No way. But a daughter of Aphrodite and a son of Hephaestus? They're not related, so 
it's no problem. And this is what I guessed, and this is what guests yeah. had guessed in the past as well. So this makes sense. It's nice for narrator Percy to address it. And yeah, yeah this is a book. It's a middle grade going into YA book about teens at camp. Yeah. There's gonna be romance. Just let yeah. us have it. <laughs> really unavoidable. <laughs> yeah. Just let us have it. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. And the best is that narrator Percy ends this quote with, anyway, for some strange reason, I was thinking about this as I watched Annabeth straighten up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Percy. He's good. He's, He's really struggling. Good. I love it. <laughs> He's really funny. He's really good. I really, really enjoy it. Percy asks Annabeth if she's gotten any good info from the laptop. She says, too much. Daedalus has so many ideas that she could spend 50 years just trying to figure them all out. And then in a rare L from Percy Jackson, he sees lots of architectural drawings in her papers and chooses not to ask her about them because, quote, she'd start talking about angles and load-bearing joints until my eyes glazed over. I'm sorry. I get that you're 15 years old. Yeah. And that this is maybe a teenager thing. But there are few joys in life greater than hearing someone passionate about something nerd out about that something. Oh, I yeah. love it. I don't care what it's about. I have a friend, Will, who's super into airplanes and travel, and he knows things about all the different airplanes and what the models are and what classes they are and what that means about the seating layouts and if you upgrade, what different upgrades you can get. It's just beyond fascinating to hear him talk about this stuff, even though I have no idea what's going on. And when I book a ticket, I'm like, not economy basic? Cool. Like, that's as far <laughs> as I go in the upgrade category. And it's just, oh, you can tell he's so passionate about it. I love it. I love hearing people nerd out about stuff, even if I don't care about it. So for Percy to be like, oh, I didn't want her to blabber on about the thing that she loves. Didn't love that. Not only that, but like. It's fun to talk about a thing that you love. So, like, you know, ask her because then she'll have a great time talking to you about all the angles and stuff. And you can, like, sidestep, like, the awkwardness factor and you can, like, get in some good points. Like, this would be a really good moment for you, Percy, and just, like, absolutely passing it up, passing it up. Mm -hmm. It's also just, like, a nice thing to do. Recently, I was spending time with some of my in-laws, Kelly's side of the family, and my brother-in-law, so Kelly's sister's husband, not my brother-in-law, Kelly's brother. I don't, we need different terms. We can't. Different <laughs> terms, because it's not the same. Anyway, yeah. Kelly's sister's husband, he was just hanging out with me, and at one point, because the NBA playoffs are going on, he goes, so what's up with the NBA playoffs? Who? <laughs> he does not care anything about the NBA playoffs. He knows I'm just going to go on like a 50-minute tirade about, you know, yeah. my beloved New York Knickerbockers and their devastating loss and how I'm dealing with it and all this stuff, but how we're just happy to be here and how I really like Jalen Brunson, you know, all these sorts yeah. of things. Where it, he didn't care. He doesn't care about basketball, but he asked me about it, and it was lovely, and I got to tell him some it's of so the nice. storylines and the plot lines and what teams are still in it and all this sort of stuff, and it was great. And then I asked him about something that, you know, I don't know as much about, but I was like, you know, they just bought a house and I was like, how'd the house inspection go? I'm not buying a house. I don't <laughs> care. But it's fun to hear him talk about like all the things they were looking for and blah, blah, blah. He's excited about the new house. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, it's just fun. But you're not going to buy a $5 million uh <laughs> renovated brownstone no. I mean definitely not in Brooklyn <laughs> oh god that I mean that's that's the true limiting factor not the minimum not the millions. millions of dollars <laughs> nope. nope 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 anyway back to Percy Jackson here's a, a, a little spicy thing though Annabeth pushes her hair behind her ears which is her nervous habit 
She says that the Beckendorf situation puts things into perspective in regards to losing important people in your life. And Percy, mm-hmm. with this silver platter, just Ugh. poops on it. Absolutely, Absolutely drops the ball. Ugh. Dropping the ball, my guy Percy. It is painful to watch, sir. <laughs> he blows it. At least as the narrator, he reveals that he has blown it. But <sighs> instead of taking a moment to be sentimental, he asks her how her family is. You know, the thing that she has a tough time talking about. Ah. Uh. <laughs> uh. Oh, my guy, my guy. So bad. You're causing us pain. It's so bad. It's so bad. She says that her dad wanted to take her to Greece and she's always wanted to see. And then Percy, slight save, finishes her sentence with the Parthenon. And that makes Annabeth smile because he remembered. So, all right, a little bit cool. But then, uh uh-oh, we've lost any progress we've gained because then he says, quote, that's okay. There will be other summers, right? Uh, There might not (gasps) be Percy Jackson. Did you not read the book that you're in? (laughs) Did you not read the, the prophecy? prophecy that you're in. <laughs> Remember that really bad thing that happened like not long ago? Not long ago. Why did they keep the prophecy from him all this time? He was just going to forget immediately <laughs> that he's doomed. He's going to pull a Mike Schubert and forget four sentences later. <laughs> Annabeth just stares at the inspection scroll and then gives the Athena cabin a three out of five for having a sloppy head counselor. You're too harsh on yourself, Annabeth. Everything else is perfect. That should have been a four out of five, right? Right. Four out of five. <laughs> Come Definitely on. a four out of five. Everything was pristine except for your one bet. I mean, you're being yeah. way too harsh on yourself. Now, on their way to the big house, they read a report to Grover written on a maple leaf by a satyr in Canada because, of course, it says that the woods in Toronto were attacked by a giant evil badger and summoning the power of Pan had no effect, so they retreated. I do love that a lot of the cities that I'm going to on tour are now finding their way into the book. We've got Philadelphia, a.k.a. Doylestown. We've got Toronto. I just, you know, every city can become a Percy Jackson city, and it just, <laughs> it just works. It just works. Now, this satyr is named Gleason Hedge, which is a name, and <laughs> he ends this note by asking Grover where he is. Annabeth checks with Percy that he hasn't heard anything from Grover, even with the empathy link. Percy sadly confirms. As the narrator, he explains that Grover has been traveling all across the East Coast, spreading the word of Pan and trying to convince nature spirits to protect their own bits of the wild. Then he says he'd only come back a few times to see his girlfriend, Juniper, which now I'm back on the can we trust her train. Juniper. Mm -hmm. Percy's last update was that Grover was in Central Park organizing the dryads and IMs aren't going through. But the thought of Grover in New York City reminds Percy about his Rachel Elizabeth Dare dream. And despite its likeliness of angering Annabeth, he does tell her about the entire dream. And I have to give credit to Percy. It's one of those things where it is important that she know this information. So the fact that he's able to swallow the ill favor this will earn him. I think it's good. Yeah. And if anybody's going to be able to help him with this, it's Annabeth. And it is a very disturbing dream. Yeah. Yeah. Annabeth is upset and asks Percy, what do you want me to say? And he (laughs) says that he's not sure, but she's the best strategist that he knows. So he asks her to put herself in Kronos's shoes and think about what his next move would be. Unfortunately, though, Kronos's shoes are Luke's shoes, which are probably boat shoes. I don't think you want to be in those shoes. (laughs) Sperry's. He's got some Sperry's uh, on. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
If you wear boot shoes, you can wear boot shoes. I just, it wouldn't be my choice of shoe. <laughs> <laughs> if you're looking for a boot shoe alternative, you can get some shoes that look like boot shoes. Polo has a line of shoes that like kind of look like boat shoes, but aren't. And my dad wears oh. them and they're a huge improvement. Okay. Boat shoe adjacent. They're boat shoe adjacent and they don't look as bad. Oh. I think they're called the Vons. I think they're Polo Vons. Let me Google. Yeah, you can get some Vons and they are like along the same line, but they don't look as bad. So if you're considering boat shoes, I would just personally recommend looking into Polo Vons. And if you want to get a different <laughs> shoe, you can. Polo is not paying me to say this. And Sperry is sure as hell not paying me to dunk on them. No. <laughs> I have burned that bridge. <laughs> oh, no. How will you get your free oh, Sperry's? No. Oh, and all the listeners from Connecticut have turned off the podcast. <laughs> I shouldn't say mean things. I'm doing a show in Hartford in July. Wait, but when is this episode coming out? This episode, I think, is coming out like July 13th. So only like two days where that's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just so funny. My tour guy sends me ticket update emails, and it'd be very funny if he sent me one, and there was just like 20 people just refunded their tickets. (laughs) But I don't know if the venue has free refunds, so maybe too late. (laughs) Anyway. Annabeth agrees with Percy's thought from before. Her plan would be use Typhon as a distraction to get the gods out of Olympus and then attack Olympus directly. Percy thinks that Rachel's vision must be true then. Annabeth insists she's just immoral. And again, this is a bad look for Annabeth. I don't, it's like, yeah. it's getting a little prejudice of like, oh, well, she's immortal. So clearly it's like, you were in the fourth book where it's clear that she can see past mist and there might right. be some other stuff going on. Exactly. She just doesn't want to admit to herself that there's something special about Rachel Elizabeth Dare. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I have to remember with all of these things is that I don't think this is necessarily Annabeth being prejudiced against all mortals. I think it's her just having a grudge against Rachel, which is way more understandable from a 15-year-old girl who has a crush on Percy Jackson. Like, I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. Percy specifically asks, what's up with the picture of Luke as a kid? Annabeth dodges the question, saying that they have to get ready. Chiron has taught her well. (laughs) Percy asks, how can we get ready when there's cabin infighting and my soul is about to get reaped and Annabeth now clearly angry says that they shouldn't have shown Percy the prophecy because all it did was scare him and he runs away from things when he's scared this shocks Percy and me because I don't think that that's the case I think she's projecting a little bit honestly Mm. because here's the thing you're 10 years old you read this prophecy and then the person who the prophecy is shows up and he's cute and then he's your best friend and also he's so cute and you're like, oh no, but he's gonna die, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, it's just a hard place to be for Annabeth to be like, I like him, he likes this other girl, maybe, I don't know, I don't want to talk about it. And also, like, I have known this whole time that the prophecy says that he's going to die. Yeah. I just think he's not a coward from, like, the big situations. But, and it becomes clear a little bit longer in this conversation that she's talking about their relationship. And I think that that is valid. I think that that's valid. I don't think Percy's necessarily a coward. I think he's more of... The big stuff he knows he has to do, but then when it's like smaller, more awkward slash uncomfortable things, he just kind of pushes it to the side 
too much to where they become problems. Sure. And we see that with not telling Chiron about Nico. Like, it's a problem, but it's not a huge problem. So I'll just worry about it later. And then yeah. this thing with Annabeth. And I think she's probably also upset that she probably perceives, and it's kind of true because Percy kind of admitted it, that him spending time with Rachel Elizabeth there in the summer was kind of just like, a, let me just not think about the big scary things that's going on. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's very true. Mm-hmm. So... This is shocking to Percy, but Annabeth doubles down, calls him a coward, and then they are nose to nose, and then he realizes, ah, she doesn't mean the prophecy. She probably means us. And (laughs) yeah, I think it's valid. Because, yeah, I think the only thing that he's truly run away from is the challenge of working with Annabeth to make them work. So I think I Yeah. She tells Percy that if he's not confident in their side winning, he should just go on vacation with Rachel Elizabeth there. Oof. He tries to calm her down, but then she accuses him of not liking Camp Half-Blood's company. He says that's not fair, and then she storms off and punches a tetherball on her way out, which is a great vibe. Yeah. A cool thing to punch because it's going to spin around all the way and stay on it. I never played tetherball as a kid because my schools growing up didn't have them. And one time, Kelly challenged me to play tetherball because we walked past a park in seattle and it had it she was like oh tetherball and i was like i've never played and then she was like let's play kelly smoked me she (laughs) demolished me in tetherball she did the thing where you hit it at the angle and i can't reach it and then it just goes oh it's a killer move i was very impressed as she kicked my butt I think my my only fear with like the walking away mad move of hitting the tether ball is that the tether ball comes around real quick and smacks you in the back of the head. Yeah, yeah, or you got to make sure you yeah. get out of the way. Exactly. So <laughs> so clearly she's uh, she, Annabeth also has some tether ball moves because she knows how to make sure it doesn't hit her on her way out. <laughs> <laughs> so. Narrator Percy then says, quote, I'd like to say my day got better from there. Of course it didn't. Of course. (laughs) Which I'm glad at least Percy recognizes that most things that happen to Percy are not good things. (laughs) (laughs) He knows. He knows. Now, this is where we learn that the chapter titular shroud is a burial shroud, and it's for Beckendorf. I should have seen that coming. The Ares and Apollo cabins call a temporary truce. There's a shroud of metal that is still set ablaze, even though it's metal, thanks to the fates, and the smoke rising from it is gold. Percy hopes that Beckendorf will end up in Elysium or that he goes for the Isles of the Blessed with the three-time reincarnation situation. Mm -hmm. Percy walks over to a crying Selina, who's being comforted by Clarice and Chris Rodriguez, and he says he's sorry. He continues that Beckendorf carried around Selina's picture, and he looked at it just before the battle. And he says to Selina that she meant a lot to Beckendorf, and she made his last year on Earth the best of his life. She begins to sob. Clarice chides Percy for making things worse, but Selina tells her, no, 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 it's okay, and thanks, Percy. Selena says that she should go. Percy asks if she wants company. She declines. Clarice tells Percy that Selena is strong and will survive. And Percy says that Clarice should help with that by joining the fight. Yeah. Clarice says that it's not her problem because if the Ares cabin gets no honor, she won't fight. And for a fleeting moment, Percy wonders if she's the spy. No way. No? Absolutely no way. I will not. I will not entertain this. And instead, Percy brings up that Clarice owes him for saving her in book two, which is very fascinating. She admits that she does owe him a favor, but she wants him to use this for anything else. Percy asks her if she will really just let Kronos crush them, and she says if they need her help, give them the chariot. Percy calls her a big baby, which I love. (laughs) Clarice rushes at him. Chris Rodriguez steps in and says that Percy has a point. Yeah. 
And uh, then she growls and says, not you too, and storms off. Chris Rodriguez tries to explain to her what's going on and what he meant, etc. Percy heads towards the sword arena to see an old friend as the final sparks of Beckendorf's fire curl into the sky. And I guess Mrs. O'Leary. And we'll just have to come back after the break, the Cashed Olympian, to discuss Chapter 5 and learn if it is Mrs. O'Leary. Mm. Whoa! But also you can learn about fun things in the mid-roll break. Yay! Hello and welcome to the Cashed Olympian New York City Shubio edition once again here with some updates about the podcast and stuff. First and foremost, I didn't mention this last time, but I do say it at the very end of this episode. If you like Sequoia and you've enjoyed these episodes and you live in or near Chicago or you're looking for an excuse to come to Chicago, Sequoia is the guest for the Chicago live show. Tickets to that show are live. We're going to be there in August and we're going to be in a couple other places nearby around that time as well. That's kind of how a tour works, but we will be coming to Hartford, Connecticut this coming weekend if you are listening to this episode when it is released. So July 15th in Hartford, and then we will be in Chicago on August 7th, Milwaukee August 8th, and August 10th we will be in Minneapolis slash St. Paul. The guests for the Milwaukee and the Minneapolis shows will be Michael Hollis, who was on a previous episode. I'm very excited for those. And then also, in addition to all of this, I will also be at LeakyCon, and Sequoia will be there too. We'll probably be doing some stuff together the whole weekend of August 4th. 5th and 6th, I will be doing stuff for both the New Olympian and for Potterless. My schedule hasn't been officially announced yet because most of the stuff I'm doing is on the main stage and the main stage stuff hasn't been announced, but if you want discounted tickets to LeakyCon, you can use the promo code Potterless, I believe, and get 10% off. And if you want tickets to any of the TNO live shows, you can go to thenewslimpian.com slash live. And shout out to someone who emailed me saying that the link to the Minneapolis slash St. Paul show was not working. It is now working. Now, a programming note, last week of July is going to be an off week for us. July is one of those months where there are five Mondays in a month, so I'm taking that last one off from posting an episode just to work on all of the other things that come along with making this show. I will be posting something on the Potterless feed, so you will not be without any sort of Mike Schubert book-related content that week, so you can go check out the Potterless feed on July 31st. As far as a correction for something in this episode, I'm very, very sorry for saying this, but at one point, I referred to Rachel Elizabeth there only as Rachel. And I'm just really devastated that I did that in this episode. I will try to be better and always call her by her full legal name, Rachel Elizabeth Dare. Only other update I've got here, Patreon-related, Kelly and I did send out a whole big shipment of stickers and pins and all of the sort of physical merchandise rewards you get for joining different tiers at the Patreon, so if you've been waiting on a package, it should be coming your way pretty soon. Speaking of the Patreon, I want to give a shout-out to the folks who have joined the Patreon most recently, so shout-out to our new Super God tier patrons, Sarah, and someone that made their name Chiron's Plot Arrows. Mwah, I gotta make some Chiron plot merch. Shout-out to our newest God tier patrons, Louisiana Nogo, Mando Lando, Anthony Doyle, and Look Yes, that is lowercase all L-K-K-J-H-G-F-S-H-J-W. And shout out to our newest demigod to your patrons, Rachel, Hannah Munro, Patricia Danielle, and happy birthday, Caitlin. Mike has immortalized you in a podcast. Reminder, that's a fun birthday thing that you can do. Go for it. I also would like to give belated shout outs to Joanna Melzel, who upgraded their pledge, and to Nicole Linzer and Marta Morrison, who are god tier patrons. I don't get notifications if you were a Potterless patron and then you join a TNO tier, so if that's your case, 
case and I've never given you a shout out, please shoot me a message on Patreon and I'll be sure to correct that. And then upgrades, I just have not been able to keep track of them as easily as I used to just with changes that Patreon has made. So if you upgraded and I haven't given you a shout out for upgrading, you can also send me a message and I'll give you the announcement because that is worthy of praise and thanks for me. But thanks to all of these folks who have joined. May Demeter bless you that anytime you buy herbs from the grocery store that they last you a really long time and they don't wilt like two days later and then you have to throw out a whole bunch of cilantro. Now, if you're all caught up in the news Olympian and you're looking for a new podcast to consume, I'm an independent podcast boy and I make a whole bunch of podcasts and I think they're very good. I am biased, but I think they're very good. One of the shows that I make with my buddy Adam Amawala is called Horse. Horse is a comedic basketball podcast where we talk about the NBA and the WNBA, but we do it in a way that has absolutely no gatekeeping because we want to be open for all, especially if you are new to the sport or you want to learn about the sport. We talk about past events. We talk about current events. You can be in the know. It's very fun. It's very silly. And now's a fun time to get in there. NBA offseason, lots of drama in there. WNBA season is in the all-star weekend now. Lots of good stuff. So you can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts by searching for horse or going to our website, horsehoops.com. Now, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of those ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Belgium, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in either French, German, or Dutch, because according to Google, those are the three official languages of Belgium. But once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of the Newest Olympian. This episode of TNO is brought to you by Tab for a Cause. Percy's out there saving the world. We might not be able to save the world. We still would like to help, though, right? The world can be a bit scary and and you want to try to put some good into the world, but sometimes it can be tough to do so. Do you want to do it in the easiest way possible? Ho <laughs> ho! Well, boy, oh boy, do I have good news for you because you can go to tabforacause.org slash TNO and install Tab for a Cause in your browser. And every time you open a new tab, you get a pretty picture of some nature and then there'll be some ads in the corner, but those ads raise money for charity and you get to pick what charities get supported. It is really simple to install. It takes like three clicks max, and it won't take a lot of time. And then every time you open a tab, you're doing some good stuff, which is great. I'm going to go right now and open up a new tab because it's been a while since I have donated my hearts. Every time you open a tab, you get a heart. I've got 423 at the moment, so I'm going to click the donate button and I'm going to pick a charity. I'm going to go to water.org. According to them, nearly 1 billion people lack access to clean water, but thankfully $25 is all it takes for water.org to provide someone with a lifetime of clean water. Your donation helps bring us one step closer to a world without thirst. So boom, there you go. That's how easy it was. I just gave money to charity that I had stored up from just opening tabs, which is something we do a whole heck of a lot. So again, go to T-A-B-F-O-R-A A-C-A-U-S-E dot org slash T-N-O and install it and start raising money for charity today. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.
And we are back, and we're here to discuss Chapter 5, I Drive My Dog Into a Tree. So for my guess, I just wrote, yep, because <laughs> we were wondering if it's Mrs. O'Leary. Gotta be her. If it's another dog, that would be weird. <laughs> Narrator Percy says, Mrs. O'Leary saw me before I saw her, which was a pretty good trick considering she's the size of a garbage truck. <laughs> Always powerful openings. But also, I am now wondering if Kelly's theory of Mrs. O'Leary changing mm. sizes has more validity to it because before she was established, Mrs. O'Leary, as the size of a Hummer. Now she's the size of a garbage truck, which is, is bigger true. than a Hummer. Does she change that sizes? I think what it really is is just Percy compares her to large vehicles, but... Percy just has no idea how big vehicles are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. Percy walks into the arena and a wall of darkness, but he means Mrs. O'Leary taking him by surprise. I thought there was like some magical wall of darkness that he ran into, yeah. and I was very surprised. Oh, it's just the dog. <laughs> Percy begins to play fetch with her and recalls that Beckendorf would watch Mrs. O'Leary when Percy was gone. He thinks of all the metal dog toys that Beckendorf made for her. And again, just really sad stuff. We were already sad about Beckendorf. And then these past just couple of chapters just yeah. make it even sadder. Just so sad. But also, I get it. She makes it clear that she has to use the bathroom. So Percy lets her out because doo-doo in the arena has caused a few incidents in the past. So he lets her out. She runs into the woods and then he jogs after her. Upon entering the forest, Percy sees Mrs. O'Leary not using the bathroom, but instead looking at an odd trio in the old Council of the Cloven Elders trial location. Juniper, Nico, and an old and fat satyr. Mm. Very interesting combination of folks. It's weird. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's super weird. Also, I do want to say something that someone pointed out to me, which I think is a good feedback. There was a time in an earlier episode where I said I didn't like the use of fat, and someone pointed out like, hey, Using the word fat's okay. It's only if it's used in like a derogatory way. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So this person was like, it's weirder that you brushed up against it. And I was like, you know what? You're right. That was weird. So yeah, thank you for the feedback there. I appreciate it. And I do want to listen to Helen Zaltzman, who does The Illusionist. I think she's doing a two-part podcast. It's a podcast all about like words and the history and stuff like that. She's doing a two-parter about the word fat. And I am oh. beyond fascinated to listen to it because oh, yeah. yeah, my instinct was like, oh, this is bad. And someone's like, hey, you know, it doesn't have to be bad. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Good call. So anyway, Nico is unfazed by Mrs. O'Leary's arrival. The satyr is quite displeased. Percy apologizes and checks that he's Linnaeus. Linnaeus confirms that he is Linnaeus. And I'm wondering, was he the nice one? Is there a nice one? <laughs> I know yeah. he's not Selenus, which is certainly the worst one, but I couldn't remember Linnaeus's right. vibe. I do think the better question is, is there a nice one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Juniper, who has been crying, and I'm wondering, okay, it's, it's either she's totally fine or she's a great actress, but maybe it's not her. I uh, just, ugh. she has been crying, and apparently she was asking Linnaeus for help with Grover because she can tell that something has happened because he wouldn't be gone for this long unless he was in trouble. Linnaeus thinks that Grover is a traitor and is very nervous at the presence of Mrs. O'Leary being here. So I'm thinking, okay, Linnaeus was not the good one if he thinks Grover's a traitor. <laughs> exactly. Nico, because of Linnaeus not enjoying this, offers to take Mrs. O'Leary on a walk. And Linnaeus, who now establishes himself certainly as not a nice one, is anti-Grover and even tries to call the vote 
of Grover a sham vote because they didn't vote to exile him. <laughs> Percy says, oh, do you want me to relay that to Dionysus? And that causes Linnaeus to immediately backtrack. So he's a coward and a jerk. <laughs> he and Percy have a bit of a back and forth. Linnaeus saying that they're better off without Grover. Percy calling him out on his BS since the forest around them is clearly in bad condition with all the yellow grass. So it doesn't really seem like the council's doing well without him. Yeah. Percy says that they need Grover. Linnaeus says that Grover might be dead. Percy says no way because of the empathy link. Linnaeus calls empathy links unreliable. Percy implores Linnaeus to ask around and find Grover because there is a war coming and Grover was preparing the nature spirits. Linnaeus says that Grover did this without his permission and that this isn't their war. Ooh. Percy grabs him by the shirt collar and he admits his narrator Percy that this is unlike him, but he was enraged by Linnaeus and reminds this satyr that the Titans will destroy all of nature in their path and will likely imprison the satyrs. So uh, you might want to make this your war. Yeah, seems to be everybody's fight, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like all people who are not Titans or evil <laughs> against the Titans and the evil Mabel. Exactly. Percy says, if you want to play leader, you need to lead. And Percy gives him a light push, but it's heavy enough to make him fall over. Linnaeus gets up and runs away, saying that Grover will never be accepted and will die an outcast. Absolutely. We do not stand. We do not stand for this kind of Grover slander. No. I will not stand for it. I wouldn't trust anyone just in regular life who reads the books and thinks, ah, Grover's fine. Like, if you're not all in on Grover, I worry about your personality. Red flag. Red Huge flag. red flag. <laughs> Enormous red flag. Juniper apologizes for getting Percy involved, says she didn't mean to. Nico returns and cites the trail of goat pellets as a job well done by Percy. I like that Linnaeus canonically pooped himself. <laughs> Percy asks if Nico is here to see Juniper, knowing that he isn't. Nico yeah. says that he accidentally appeared in the middle of their conversation. And now I'm right back in the whole <laughs> thing of suspecting her. Because why would she be talking to someone who very much does not like Grover? Mm -hmm. It could be what she said, but it also mm -hmm. could be nefarious. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Juniper, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Juniper checks with Nico that as a son of Hades, he doesn't know that if Grover died or not. He explains again that he can only sense the passing of mortal souls. And if Grover passed, he would be reincarnated as something in nature. And I didn't like this. I didn't like us getting details about what happens to Grover if he dies, because now I'm worried that he might be a goner in this book. Sure. I did not like it. I did not want to know this information. Not what I'm looking for. Right, right. But yeah, we'll just continue on so your trapdoor stays intact. Juniper says that she wishes that she could leave the forest to check on him. And I didn't remember that that was a thing, but that doesn't mean she's not the spy. Mrs. O'Leary grows fascinated in Juniper's dress, so she leaves because she knows about dogs and trees, which is very <laughs> funny. A very good joke. Mrs. O'Leary heads into the forest. Nico and Percy then begin to talk. Nico says he's sorry about Beckendorf. He found out because he talked to Beckendorf's ghost. <sighs> Percy asks what he said, and Nico says that Beckendorf does not blame Percy and says that Percy should not beat himself up over what happened. And Beckendorf figures that's exactly what Percy is doing, so he wanted yeah. that message to be relayed. Nico says that Beckendorf told him that he plans to stay in Elysium because he's waiting for someone. Selena, it's so cute. It's so and then cute. I dissolve into a million tears. Mm -hmm. uh. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, 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 yep. 
people can't see the video of this call, but sure. you are actually a I'm, puddle of tears with a microphone I am pointed at you. Not a person anymore. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Percy says that he had a vision that Nico was on Mount Tam and asks Nico if that was real. Nico does confirm, saying that he didn't plan to spy on the Titans, but he was in the area. Sure, Nico. Sure, Nico. Yeah. <laughs> I totally buy that. Mm hmm. Percy asks what he was doing, and he says that he was following a lead on his family. Percy asks if it was a success. Nico says no, but he has a new lead. Percy asks what that is, and Nico says, that's not important. Uh, then why did you bring it up, Nico D'Angelo? <laughs> the answer is, because it's a book. But why, Nico <laughs> D'Angelo? <laughs> He says to Percy that he should know why he's here. Percy is hesitant, saying that the plan is pretty extreme. Nico reminds him that Typhon is arriving in a week, so it might be time to utilize extreme measures. I mean, he's not wrong. He is not wrong. They hear Ares and Apollo's campers fighting in the distance. Nico tells him that Camp Half-Blood is no match for the enemy, especially with this going on. And that is going to come down to Percy versus Luke, and this is the only way to beat Luke. And this is where I just had a scary vision of what could okay. be the plan, because you don't know what okay, the plan okay, is. Okay, okay, And I didn't actually think this would be it. I was just worried at the slim chance. I was really hoping that it wouldn't be time travel to kill a young Luke before he can become Kronos. Sure, sure, I didn't sure. want that. I did not want time travel. I do not want time travel, because I was worried about the whole... Why does Rachel Elizabeth Dare have a vision of a young Luke? And I just, I don't, I don't want that. I really don't want that. And I don't think that's what it's going to be. But there's just the slight, slight sliver of the pie that that is a possibility. And it made me uncomfortable. Hmm. Hmm, indeed. Nico tells Percy that they can give him the same power. He cites the prophecy and the whole cursed blade thing, making Percy wonder how he heard it. And then I was wondering, uh, is the plan to turn Riptide into a Cursed Blade 2? And then I'm thinking that that's not great. But if they do that, then maybe the prophecy could be about Luke. Mm. But then also maybe they don't have to do that because Luke could use his Cursed Scythe on himself. And then that could be the hero dying. And then I'm thinking, oh, then Luke has to be a hero. And also grammatically, does that even work in sure. the prophecy? But the prophecy gets pretty fast and loose with how the clauses work and refer to people, which would not fly in my English classes in high school, where you had to be very clear if you right. use a little thing like who or thus or they. My uh, just clear as day, Mr. Fritch would circle it in red and then write <laughs> who you're talking about if it wasn't crystal clear. And honestly, it's made me a much better writer. Shout out to Mr. Yeah. Fritch. He was a really, really, really good teacher. But yeah, I don't know. But regardless, I'm just thinking like that could be the thing. Sure. Like the person that dies could be Luke. And I would be fine with that. <laughs> uh. Percy reminds Nico that you can't prevent a prophecy, but Nico says you can fight it. And Percy can do so by becoming invincible. Percy says that maybe they should wait and see if there's something else. And I was like, ah, Annabeth is maybe right. This is coward Percy coming through a little bit. <laughs> but I also think Percy's justified because we still don't know what the plan is by the end of right. this chapter. And it must be scary if we still don't know what it is. Sure. Nico says that it has to be now. And I'm thinking, all right, maybe this is cowardice, but it's warranted cowardice. Percy hasn't seen Nico this angry in a while, and he checks to make sure that Nico's doing all right. Nico takes a deep breath and explains what he means is that once the fighting begins, they cannot make this journey, so this is the last chance. He apologizes if he's being too pushy, which I think is a really nice thing for Nico to do. Yeah. Very yeah. mature. 
Gross. But he explains that he wants to honor his sister's decision to give her life for Percy's. He wants Percy to stay alive so that he can defeat Kronos. And I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Percy doesn't love the idea of following through with the plan, but he also doesn't love being labeled a coward by Annabeth. So he thinks about their chances against Kronos and he doesn't feel great about their chances. So he asks Nico what step one is. Whew. Here we go. Here we're doing it. We go. We are doing it. Narrator Percy says, quote, his cold, creepy smile made me sorry I'd agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Nico says that they have to retrace Luke's steps to learn more about his past and childhood. And this feels like an unnecessary ploy to make us as the reader like Luke more. It feels a little, and I don't like this, but it's feeling a little snapey, where in Mm. book seven... He turns from being grumpy teacher we don't like into complex character, and I thought too little too late. Now, in that situation, it's seven books of him being terrible, and then it's fine. This is a little bit better since it's the very beginning of book five, so it's more palatable there, but it does feel like, and I understand that you have to do this, but it does feel a little bit like... We're going to do the things to make you like Luke more. And I think that it's fine. I don't think that this is a problem with the writing or the way the story is set up. I just think me, I'm very much the type of person to be like, if you wrong one of my friends once, I hate you forever. Right. Like I had friends of mine, their significant other did something or they were in an on again, off again relationship. And I was like, I don't care. Bobby broke up with you once. I hate Bobby (laughs) and I will always hate Bobby because he made you feel sad that one time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally get it. I totally get it. And I think that, like, honestly, I am not a Snape apologist. Snape sucks. Snape will always suck. Mm -hmm. I think that this is a really interesting... I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) Is what I'm going to do. But I'm really interested to see, you know, your reaction to where this goes from here. Yeah, I am interested to see what lies ahead, because obviously I don't know what lies ahead, but... I do feel like we can get to a situation, depending on what Luke's backstory is, I'm sure there might be some more complex things and there were things that made his life harder. He's so angry at Hermes, so there could be more there. But I still feel like his ceiling is one of those complex villains where it's like, I get where you're coming from, but you're going about it in the wrong way. Sure. I just feel like a lot of the things he did were over the top. Definitely. He's done some really, really bad stuff. Mm -hmm. He's done some really bad stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this book and like for context, like I liked all of these books. And like I said, I tore through them really quickly. But this book is so good. Yeah. I'm really starting to see why everybody enjoys this book a lot because I am what? Five chapters in. It feels like I've been reading this book for far longer. Because it just feels like there's so much. Like, I feel like I could do some sort of statistics where I kind of look at amount of notes taken or length of episode per chapter, thing like that. And I just feel like there's so much to discuss in these that it's it's, really rich. It's yeah, 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 it's dense. There's a lot going on. It's good. I do enjoy this book. I am excited to keep reading it. Now 
Percy shudders as he recalls Rachel Elizabeth Dare's picture. He asks Nico why they need to know that, and Nico says that he'll explain when they get there. And that's another classic trope. I love when this happens <laughs> in TV shows and movies where people will be, for example, in someone's apartment, and then they're talking about something, and they're like, oh, we got to get a move on. And then the next scene is them in the car picking up the conversation exactly where they left off. So they said absolutely zero words as they took the <laughs> stairs or the elevator or got in the car and left the parking yeah. lot and all this stuff. I just think it's so funny. Like, I get it. It's a TV show. It's I just like to think about the if this was real life of it all. Yeah. And it, it just tickles me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nico says that he's tracked down Luke's mother in Connecticut. And Connecticut. Uh, my apologies for angering all of Connecticut, but... <laughs> Uh, now we know I didn't want to spoil yeah. early for any people I know there's some people listen to the podcast and don't read the books so like you go in detail enough I don't have them read them uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do love it keeps coming up we've got Toronto we've got Connecticut we've got Doylestown like the towns are becoming relevant I'm telling you the prophecy it's just <laughs> it's just happening I really enjoy it I really really like it and I, I think it's just fun like I like that Uncle Rick is getting a bunch of cities involved and that way you can be a kid from Connecticut and be like, what? Our state that never gets written about? Like, it's fun. It's good. Exactly. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and also just it happens to be working for my tour. It's really nice. I can label this one, you know, the Luke's hometown show or whatever. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll wear boat shoes. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, God. I'd have to buy them. Gross. Yeah. Percy realizes that he has never thought about Luke's mortal parent before, which I hadn't either. He tells Nico that Luke ran away at such a young age that he didn't even process that his mom would be alive. Nico mm. confirms that she is in a way that makes Percy wonder if she's really horrible or if something horrible happened to her. Whatever reason would make Luke run away. Yeah. Percy asks if they should take Blackjack to Connecticut. Nico says, Neek, no, because Pegasi <laughs> don't like him and God. the feeling is mutual. And I was very sad. As a big fan of Blackjack, this crushed me. I know. Uh... I always want them to take Blackjack. They should always take Blackjack. But I am confident, based on the cover art, that Blackjack's coming back. Because I don't know much about what happens in the book. And by that, I mean nothing. But on the cover, I believe it's Percy riding a Pegasus. And uh, I would uh, I would guess that's Blackjack. Yeah, his best friend. His well. Yeah, it'd be a weird turn if he was like, I rode pork pie this time. <laughs> like, no. Pork pie. <laughs> I rode Guido. So Nico <laughs> whistles for Mrs. O'Leary and tells Percy that Mrs. O'Leary can help via shadow travel. Percy asks, what is this very ominous means of transportation? Nico tells him to hop on board. He explains that this will make Mrs. O'Leary very tired, so he can't do it often. He says that it works best at night because shadows are part of the the same substance, darkness, and creatures of the underworld use it as a road or a door. And look, I love it. they're just asking me at this point to talk about Kingdom Hearts when I talk about this podcast, because I don't know <laughs> if you've played those games, but darkness is a major theme. So for it to come up again, wow. they're just toying with me at this point. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. I love shadow travel. It's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. It's really cool. I'm excited to learn more about it, because all we know is just its name and that you run into trees, I guess, and uh, that's cool enough for me. But yeah, I would love to learn more about it. Now, Nico instructs Percy to tell Mrs. O'Leary to go to the home of May Castellan in Westport. And look, I don't know much about Connecticut, 
I've only ever been to New Haven on a hiking trip. And I eat New Haven pizza, which I got to say is good. It's very close to Mm. New Jersey style pizza. It's quite delicious. My assumption of Connecticut, as you could hear in this episode, is boat shoes and sweater vests and tying sweaters around the neck and all that kind of stuff. Westport sounds like quite the proper town. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We will have to see what type of town it is. But that is the vibe that I am getting. Very vineyard vinesy. Oh, very vineyard (laughs) vinesy. Percy asks Nico if he's not coming. He says that he will meet them there. Percy gives Mrs. O'Leary the instructions. She bounds forward straight into an oak tree, and just before they hit, they pass into shadows, quote, as cold as the dark side of the moon, which Percy certainly knows the temperature of. And that is the end of chapter five, and that's the end of this episode of The Newest Olympian. What a fun time we've had on these two episodes. I Ugh. was so delighted to have you on the pod, and this was great. And you will also be at the Chicago Live Show, which is going to be yes. so much fun. So just good stuff happening all around. Sequoia, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the pod. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. Mm-hmm. A delight. Now, if people want to hear you doing podcast stuff, and maybe they want to hear you and I doing podcast stuff, because I've been on your shows, which are both fantastic, <laughs> why don't you talk about those podcasts? Absolutely. Um, so I have two shows shows. Um, One of them is called Fanatical Fix and Where to Find Them. It is a comedy Harry Potter fan fiction podcast where we read some old but amazing uh, short fan fictions and Mike has been on that show before. It's a ton of fun. Um, And then my other show is But Make It Scary and Mike has been on that show two times and usually what we do is we take a romantic film, we rewrite it as a horror film. Haven't I been on three times? Didn't I do Pretty Woman too? Oh, my God, you've been on three times. I know. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. New information for the people who listened to the outro last time. Three times. It's three. We missed one. And that's why we talked about John Wick last time. Now it's all coming together. That's why. Oh, it's everything. See, we're just pulling the Percy Jackson where, like, you bring up something and then you explain it a couple chapters later. Exactly. Exactly. We're on theme. Pretty Woman into a John Wick origin story yes. which is way better than the prequel series that's going to star mel gibson so don't even bother just yes. listen to that episode of but make it scary exactly uh. exactly great great thought great thought i can't believe you've been on that three times that's amazing um so you can go check those out wherever you get podcasts and then um if you happen to think i am funny you can find me on tiktok at sequoia simone mm-hmm. i cannot reiterate enough they are very good podcasts They're very fun. Not just the episodes with me on them. I'm not just saying it because I've been on the podcast. They're good (laughs) podcasts and you should listen to them and should sign up for the But Make It Scary Patreon because there's so many good goodies there as well. But Sequoia, thank you so much for joining. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. And until we figure out how shadow travel goes and what they're going to do in Connecticut, until then, I'll see you later. Hello. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Kumpamanas and Brandon Google, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want more TNO in your life, there's a couple different places you can find us. You can find us on social media. We're at Newest Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're on Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash The Newest Olympian. And then Patreon has a whole bunch of bonus content at thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon. Speaking of the Patreon, I'm going to give a shout out to our producer level patrons, our members of the Olympic Court. 
Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hoskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Wickstrom, Megan Moon, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Peter Johnson, The Twins, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Heather McMillan, Casey Williams, Polly Burridge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Josh Sayer, Joshua Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Marco Redhouse, Caden Max, Sam Sam Reby, Riley Kittes, Mary Kelly, Audra, Mrs. O'Leary, Rodith Kalma, Milo Kim, Fred Cabras, Harlan Crisp, Cece Reads 23, Sandkopf, Julia Kendall, Emil Oscar Thomason, Liz Cardigan, Zachary Hamilton, Sarah Neal, Ricky, John Drillsma, Demigod Nurse, Rayla Matthews, Riley Draken, Lunica Dune, Sky Mallory, Elizabeth Obermiller, Aiden Parziani, Biggest Tyson Fan, Hunter Landstrom, Captain Jack Rackham, and Sky Captain and the Princess. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, you can talk about the podcast. Word of mouth is so huge. Whether you tell someone directly, you know someone who is a PJO fan, or someone who's been looking for an excuse to read the books, you reach out, hey, there's this podcast, TNO, The New Olympian, it's perfect, the host is great and also humble. You would love it, you should check it out. Or you can post about us on social media, or you can leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using. All of these things really help. And if you do any of these things, I am so, so thankful. And if you do them in the future, thanks in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode, and I hope you tune into our next episode, where we'll be joined by the co-hosts of the Monster Donut Percy Jackson podcast, and we'll be covering chapter six of book five. But until then, I'll see you later. Hey, how's it going? It's me, Ace Marmik. So in the shoe video here, I have a couple of different things hung up against my felt soundproofing. A lot of things that people have given to me at live shows or sent to me or all these sorts of really nice things that fans have made. One of the things that I have in here that fans have made are bracelets. People have made a couple of different bracelets, uh, like beaded bracelets. I don't know if there's like an official term, but like when you have one of those like stretchy, uh, stretchy bracelets with, a, with like plastic beads that spell stuff. So I have some that say Potterless. I have some that say the new Olympian. I have some that say like Gryffindor. So I'm just going to jingle a couple of those near the microphone and we'll see how that sounds. Thank you so much for listening. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.